You're listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM. I'm Dee Clark, and this is Cortez Currents, which you can also access in text form at cortezcurrents.ca. And today we bring you the fifth and final installment of our special series, A Conversation About the Cortez Death Care Collective, a volunteer association dedicated to a healthier relationship with death and dying. I interview Margaret for sure, with an occasional comment by Emma Tios, on what the collective does and what it can offer to Cortez residents. In this final episode, we'll discuss the current state of the project, opportunities to help or volunteer, and how it feels to be constantly breaking new ground. So it sounds like you've already had some successes by whatever metric you have been able to help some families. You've been able to facilitate a couple of natural burials. Do you feel like you're sort of taking root at this point? Like your project is starting to put down some roots and and you're feeling like it's establishing itself a little bit? I mean, I hope that this this interview is going to help people to know Mm -hmm. more about what you're doing, Mm -hmm. but... You feel like you've gone sort of from theory to practice? I think it's a pretty deep dive, pretty immediate deep dive from theory to practice. (laughs) As soon as you offer your support in a situation where someone is approaching death or someone has died expectedly or unexpectedly, that you're immediately in the practice of it. And, and every situation is different, and every situation requires creativity and resourcefulness and flexibility. And I think we've shown up to every situation. We've really met every situation in a beautiful way. But, I mean, it... People often have ideas for community projects or community services, and they're like, oh, this would be such a great idea. But there's a bit of a gap between having that great idea and actually having the community want your service, embrace your service, appreciate your service. And it sounds like you've kind of made it past that threshold. Yeah, I think, too, that it's going at the right speed because, because like Emma said, everyone is different everyone we seem to we seem to have some kind of an obstacle that we didn't have previously and then we discuss it and find ways around it and feel like okay next time we can navigate that one in a in a way that is better suited and then the next one shows up and we learn something else again so it feels like it's coming at just the right speed (laughs) And we have a really strong volunteer base. We've done several training sessions. We certainly are able to help more people. I think what what we really would like people to know is that planning goes a long ways. If you want to do things for your loved ones yourself, if you want to empower the people around you to help you at the time of death, it's really important to open up conversations, talk about it, figure out what it is that that you want, what's important to you, because then it's so much easier for people to help you. 
you know, when a death is sudden and there's no planning around it, it's really challenging to know what the actual person wanted and so much easier just to let somebody else guide the whole process. We're in contact with somebody who's expecting their loved one to die in a care facility. We've never dealt with this care facility. We've, so now we're the ones that are contacting the care facility and saying, okay, on practical terms, how is this going to play out? And they're like, okay, this has never happened before. And then, you know, we're working it out together how it's going to look, which is, which is great to do it at this point in time. Having done that after a death has occurred is, is much more challenging because we do find that we're, we're pioneering in, in many ways. Yeah, we're pioneering. We're, we're in institutions that are so institutionalized, they don't deal directly with families. We know what's possible, but we also have to make it practical. And that can be a challenge. And, and that's where we start to learn and to open up more channels. And now, now the hospital morgue, they probably more or less know us and mm -hmm. we know them. And what a blessing it is for that person that you're the ones doing the footwork with the care facility. You're advocating, essentially, yes. for her. So she can just attend to the process of her husband dying and yes. not have to have a battle with bureaucrats. And yes. So this is a just absolutely priceless service, you know. It's... Yeah, and whenever we learn something, we put it on the website so that we put it on the website and, and that website is available to anybody. And if people want to do family-led death care, like with the, without the community, we're trying to make that as possible. We're putting the information out there so that people can navigate that themselves. It's, it's not something that we necessarily need to do for people, but if we find ways of doing it, we'll, we'll put the information out there so that the next person knows the questions to ask and who to ask them to. Okay, let's talk about how people can help. Yeah, and the first thing is allow us to help you. We can talk about death, we can have workshops, but unless people are, talked about that before, unless people are willing to open themselves to this other way of, to this so-called alternative way of doing things, then it remains in the workshop phase. And get knowledgeable about what the choices are. We, we do have our death care and collective meetings, and I know a lot of people aren't meeting people, and that's totally fine, but open up conversations in your homes, among the people. Get on our email list. We have a lot of people on our email list that, that don't come to meetings, and that's fine. There's so much information out there, and we continually, people send it to me, and then I send it to others. There's really great YouTube videos and, and ways to learn. There's so much support around what's called now home funerals or family-led funerals, community-led death care. There's a lot of information out there. And as much as possible, prepare in advance. So know that you're going to die and get in touch with the community-led death care volunteers so that we can know how to best support you when that time comes. I have a file on the computer, like I can't help myself, that is very detailed on, on 
what I would like. And it also has the information that is needed to register my death. But when a death occurs, that's not the time to be looking around for social insurance numbers and, and where my father was born. That can all be done beforehand. And the person who's the deceased person has all of that information or the deceased person is the one that's the best carrier of all that information. And now they're not there in 10 minutes, maybe they could tell us everything that we need to know and it could save hours and, and headaches later. We could really also benefit from donations of like building caskets from donations for ferry costs. There aren't a lot of expenses associated with it, but we are a group of volunteers that are offering a great deal of our time and energy and resources. And so there is room for support. That's true. If people wanted to contribute, we could certainly use that money to, to support the families that need our services. I wanted to add with community-led death care and our volunteer group, People volunteer for specific parts of community-led death care. So one person might be, I'm comfortable with paperwork, and another is like, I'm comfortable with bodies and tending to them. Another person might be volunteering to drive or to prepare a burial plot at the cemetery. So we have different categories. So everybody that volunteers isn't volunteering for the whole thing, just for the areas that they feel competent and comfortable in. And we do have training sessions too. Mm -hmm. So whatever area a person feels drawn toward, then we we get together and, and have training for it. So people and, can volunteer without fearing they're going to be assigned to wash a corpse on their first day or anything like that. Yeah, It seems to be just the opposite. People volunteer and really want to be involved in tending to a body and... People volunteer and want to do paperwork and want to do this. And it's more about what people want to do than what they... But yeah, there are people who are like, yeah, that part, that part doesn't interest me. <laughs> but no, we have like a dozen volunteers who say we want to, we want to help with bodies. And that's we've, great. We've had very few opportunities. <laughs> well, it's good. Good. You don't want too many opportunities. No, we do. I mean, people die whether we like it or not. But, uh, but not frequently. Well. You wouldn't want to have a death wave just so you can get some practice. I mean, no, we definitely don't want that. <laughs> There's a lot of support and mentorship available, I think, also for people who do want to come in and they might not be experienced in paperwork or attending to a body. They don't have to know what to do. There's a lot of people willing to help guide them through it. Is there any kind of wrap-up thing that you would want to leave people with? People who are listening, like a summary statement, or if this is any message that you want to get out to the community, something that's very yeah. important. I used to hate the word, like, embracing death. I would, I would um, read that and think, how can you embrace death? It's so challenging how can you tell a mother whose son has just died you need to embrace death and I realize that's not what people are talking about I think it's more that we need to accept that death is a part of life whether we like it or not and instead of turning from it we turn toward it and 
in that sense, embrace it. Thich Nhat Hanh said, unless you can look death in the eye, you can't really live either. And the poet Rilke, if we can hold death gently against our hearts, we cannot refuse to go on living. So death is a part of life. Death is a part of life, and to have it conscious as opposed to unconscious, that can make a big difference, not only in how our own death plays out, but in how we live our lives today. And that concludes the fifth and final episode of our conversation about the Cortez Death Care Collective. I thank Margaret and Emma very much for taking the time for a lengthy interview and for all the information and experiences that they shared. Once again, the website for their project is communityleddeathcare.ca. That's all one word, communityleddeathcare.ca. And the contact email address is right there on the front page. The music briefly featured at the end of each of these episodes was as follows. The Parting Glass, sung by Hosier. O Death by Sweet Honey in the Rock. Pivier Kacha, performed by Picardieska Tertia. Down by the Riverside, performed by the Magnificent Seventh's Brass Band. And at the end of this episode, Sweet Honey in the Rock once again with Breaths. Just a reminder... The views and opinions heard on this program are not endorsed by Cortez Community Radio, its board, its staff, its membership, or any granting agency, but are those of the writer, producer, and guests. And, as always, thanks for listening. Never, never let the dead have a path.
are in the woman's breast. They are in the waiting child. They are with us in the home. They are with us in the crowd. The dead have all packed So listen no more often to things than to themes. Listen no more often to things than to themes. Tis the ancestor's word when the fire's voice is heard. Tis the ancestor's word in the voice of the water. Yeah.